I want you to think, I want you to think of the most peaceful place for you. What is the most peaceful place for you? Looking around the room, I know the answer is fly fishing for some of you. Maybe a tree stand for others. Perhaps sipping a drink in front of the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve when kids are finally in bed and it's just quiet. A rewarding mountain peak view after a strenuous climb or a hike, sort of the quiet of the wind just blowing past. Maybe, maybe something beautiful like a, a poetry reading or an orchestra performance. Maybe a good holiday meal with people you love. Or if you're an introvert, being with no one at all and just enjoying that. What is the most peaceful place for you? What I want to talk about today is the idea that Jesus brings peace. That Jesus himself brings peace. As we just sang and and Dennis and Lynn talked about in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we, we sing these lines that asking Jesus... Emmanuel to come and bid, get rid of, right? Bid, make happen our sad divisions to cease, the things that divide us and cause so much strife in our world. Bid our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace. To be yourself our king of peace. Today we're going to be kind of keying off from a passage in Micah 5. And in Micah 5, he is speaking to Israel who's going through a time of incredible unrest and worry and anxiety. And he says about the Messiah that's going to come, about the the Christ that's going to come, this king that is going to come. He says, he will be our peace. That he will be our peace. So what would your Christmas look like this year if you were totally at peace? What would that be like? I read a a blog post this week from Ann Voskamp. She's a crazy writer. If anybody's read her, you know what I'm talking about. She's all over the place. But she writes these beautiful things, and I'm going to read a couple things from her today because they really stood out to me. She says this, peace isn't a place. Peace is a person. Peace is not a place you escape to out of your everyday life, but a person you walk with every day. Peace isn't a place, peace is a person. So I want to sort of push towards this idea today that Jesus brings peace because he is the person of peace. He is our source of peace. He himself is peace that was promised. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can look back at the minor prophet Micah. If you don't know where that is, I understand it's a weird little book that you could blow over quickly. We'll put it up on the screen for you. But Micah is speaking to this this generation of Israel who has walked away from God, they've worshipped idols, and God is now allowing them to go into exile, into a very dark time, in which it seems like he's distant from them, and they're, they're crying out to him, and God sends prophet after prophet to speak truth to them, to speak what God's heart is for them, and God tells Micah this, to say this to the people. Now, daughter who is under attack, meaning Israel, you slash yourself in grief, 
A siege is set against us. They are striking the judge of Israel on the cheek with a rod. Bethlehem Ephratah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord, his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace. There's this promise here that somehow in the future, at some point, out of this small clan of Bethlehem, out of the tribe of Judah, this one will come who's going to lead the people in peace in the midst of this exile and turmoil that they're living in. To this stumbling, warring, anxious group of people, God promises that a shepherd will come, a leader will come who will himself be peace. Peace is a person. What the heck does that mean this Christmas for you and me? (laughs) That peace is a person. So I want you to go back to what you maybe were just picturing. You're fly fishing. You're sitting in front of the Christmas tree. Your time of peace with family. Being alone and just quiet. And picture that. And then know that Jesus is that times a thousand. Somehow, in some way, Jesus himself is more peaceful than that, better than that, more lasting, more sustaining than that. Jesus, who is totally calm, nothing phases him, under control, unhurried, not anxious, not vengeful, totally gentle, totally peace. Peace is a person. My wife's uncle, uh, Uncle Joel, is, for me, when I think of who is a person of peace, I think of Joel. This man has been through hell in his life. He's a missionary in Africa. For years, meaning time away from family, friends, raising kids in a tough environment overseas was in a terrible car accident where a little girl ran in front of him in the road and she died in his arms. Think about the trauma of that, the pain of that. His own son dropped dead of a heart issue at 22. Man, just the pain of that. And yet when I talk to him, he, this, this peace just comes out of him. This gentleness comes out of him. Never in a hurry, always willing to talk. I'm sure he has his moments, but I haven't seen him lose his cool, get angry, impatient. And what I know is true of him is that he walks with Jesus. That he knows Jesus as a friend. That he spends time with Jesus and then it comes out of him. 
that this person of peace resides with him, in him, and then it flows out of him. Friends, Jesus is peace this Christmas. Jesus, fully human, fully flesh, soft, the soft and vulnerable baby in our hard, crushing world, comes and takes on this form to give us his fully spiritual heart, his good heart, his, his spiritual peaceful heart to change us from the inside out to be like him, to actually experience peace in our lives. And what I want to talk about today is that peace is a person we worship. Peace is a person we can unite under if we're willing to. And that peace is who we center our lives around this Christmas. So I just want to kind of break this down in those, those three ways. So peace is a person, the person of Jesus that we worship, the true king. Okay, if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn to Matthew 2. Matthew picks up on what Micah had said 500 years earlier or so. He's telling the story of Jesus' birth, and he says this in chapter 2 of Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men, or these, these three kings, right? Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Which direction did they come from? East, okay? Remember that. Uh, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, also known as terrified, because there's a new king on the scene and he knows what this means for him. And all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes, the good religious people of the people, and asked them where the Christ, where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet Micah, who we just read. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means last among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. There's a good chance it was probably like two years, but maybe Jesus is two at this point. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Lies. Okay. Fake news, right? Not going to happen. Not true. He wants to kill him. Remember, he puts out this order for genocide, right? After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. I just want you to think about that for a second, just the providence of God in all of this. That God four or four or five hundred years earlier had said, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, which is this no-name city outside of Jerusalem. He's going to come from the tribe of Judah. And, uh, you know, people are going to come and they're going to worship him. And his rule is going to extend to the ends of the earth. But like, just think about the providence of that. That 500 years earlier, this is prophesied. And now you've got all these years later, Mary's told this version that she's somehow going to have a baby. They don't live in Bethlehem. But God sees fit to have Caesar, a new Caesar, call for a, a, you know, taxes to be given. And he says, you know, I don't just want the money from people. I want to uproot them and send them back to their home land, their home territory. So Joseph has to take his 
very pregnant fiance travel all the way to Bethlehem so they can have this baby. So that two years later, these kings from the east can come and worship. This is the providence of God arranging all of this thing to see that his prophecies do come true. And so can I just say, uh, you know, today that your life might seem nuts. It might seem crazy. Perhaps God's doing something in the midst of the frustrating circumstances. Perhaps he's moving you towards something because he wants to birth something new in your midst. All right, God has the ability to do that. Just a little side sermon, okay, just a little side note that our God oversees all things. And like, you know, poor Mary in her uncomfortable state, traveling pregnant, getting on a donkey. Imagine that, that's great. Miles and miles to go all the way so she can have this baby. God's prophecies come true. And like your life in its messiness and its craziness, God might be doing something, okay? That's all I'm saying. She wouldn't have picked that, right? Okay, side sermon over. God's providential. He oversees all things in our circumstances. Here's what I want to say, though, in this passage is that peace, the person of peace, is not found through religion, not found through moralism, legalism, not found through our right behavior. Peace comes onto the scene like we can't earn it. Jesus just enters into the midst of us. In this story, Jesus just enters into the mess of of Joseph and Mary's life, into the world of an exiled Israel stuck under Roman oppression. He just enters into it. They didn't earn it. God just puts it on them, right? We can't earn our peace. We can't gain it by our religious behavior. We just have to receive it as a gift from God through worship. He comes to lowly Bethlehem in a manger to an unwed couple, It's about his greatness, not our achievements. That's not the story that we would have written, right? That's not the good religious story that we would have written, but this is our God. He does not reward religious, legalist, moralist types. He just bestows it on them. It's all about God and his achievements. We can't earn peace. We can't make peace happen through our human endeavors. Look around, right? How long have we been saying Now there's peace. Now we can get peace. Now maybe we can get peace. We've got more wars than ever in the history of the world. Like, it is a rough world out there. It's a dark place. We cannot bring about peace on this earth. We can't produce it. We also can't produce peace in our own lives, I don't think, uh, by our own efforts, by doing it our way, by our social media posturing, by all our stuff that we acquire, by, by being the greatest, by being the most powerful, by having the most accolades, by being true to ourselves, whatever that means. Like, it just doesn't bring peace. You, you might not realize that, only if you're, but only if you're honest with yourself. All right, let me push a little bit there. It's not a true peace. Peace is found. The person of peace is found when we bend the knee and we give up our empire of self. And we say, he's worthy to be worshipped. He is the king that deserves to be on the throne. And we come and we bend the knee when we worship him. We find peace. Think about these kings. They come all the way from where? What direction? The east, right? They come all the way from the east to come and worship this baby king, this new king. Think about the extraordinary effort that went into that for them. Traveling miles, leaving behind families, jobs. Like, I don't know what it was that they were doing, but, but they were waiting for this prophecy to come true that they had been told years earlier, perhaps by Daniel. They come from Babylon, right? And so they're coming from the east, and they put all this effort into what? Come and worship. Can I ask you this Christmas? Are you putting in the effort to worship? <laughs> not religion, 
But are you putting in the effort to continually put Jesus on the throne in your heart, in your life, like these guys were? Because guess what? We are all returning from the East. If you go back to, remember, we, we did read this, I think, this week in our Advent devotional. You go back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, they head east. When Cain kills Abel, Abel he, he heads further east. When the Tower of Babel is built, it's way east. What we see happening in this scripture is all the nations are starting to come back. You and me coming back from the east where to worship the king in the manger this Christmas. Are you experiencing peace? Are you putting Jesus on the throne of your heart? Ann Voskamp in that blog that I was talking about, uh, she says this. Finding some peace is more than closing the bathroom door and drawing a bubble bath or jetting off to some beachside resort for a week of sun therapy. Nothing wrong with those, okay? Finding some peace is about living a life you don't need to run from, but living a life you want to run into. Man, that's a line, write it down. Finding some peace is about living a life you don't need to run from, but living a life you want to run into. If you find yourself having to regularly run away from your life to get some peace, it's because you are disconnected from the actual person of peace who meets our embattled places with peace and shows us the way to embody peace in all of our battles. Finding some peace means you stop, man, she hits hard right here, okay? I'm just going to warn you. Finding some peace means you stop being the victim in your life and let the hard and holy ways of Christ give you victory over the hard things in your own life. Peace means making a life that doesn't look good on Instagram, but looks good before God. What's the life that he says is the good life, right? Real peace is about giving up a life that merely looks good for a life that actually is good. We do it through worship. We do it through putting Jesus, the king, on the throne where he belongs, and we find peace in the midst of that. Peace with God, one-on-one, peace with God because of the grace that we've received, of our sins, and peace in our lives as it starts to flow out of us. It's a peace that passes understanding, Paul says. It's a peace that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And I don't know how to say it other than that. You have to trust me. You only know this if you've experienced it. I can't convince you of it other than to say, Try putting Jesus on the throne in worship as much as you often can and see what happens. Get off of your own throne, give up your own empire and say, it's all about him. It's all about his and just see what happens. And this is what Paul says. He doesn't even have words for it. He says it's a peace that passes understanding. It's beyond human knowledge. Peace is a person that we worship. Peace is also a person that we can unite under. This is the bid our sad divisions cease to see the unity may become to the human race. He's the true shepherd who cares for us and leads us. He's the person that we can unite under. Again, look at Micah 5.4, just one verse here again. Uh, he says, he will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord. In the majestic name of the Lord, his God, they will live securely for then his greatness will extend to the ends of Israel. Nope will extend to the ends of the earth. The kingdom of Jesus goes across the entire earth, all people, everyone coming back from the east to unite under this king. All 
peoples have the opportunity to unite under the true King Jesus. Friends, Jesus is the new and better David. He's the new and better King David, who is, you know, that's like the illusion all through this, right? He's alluding to this the entire time, not illusion, but the illusion that he's alluding to that, that Jesus, the Christ, would be born in Bethlehem, which is where David was from, this is where David was anointed king. So there's this, this Davidic nature to the Messiah that's coming. And David was the great shepherd in the history of Israel, that one uh, his, his power was given the crown because of the way that he won uh, wars, because of the way that he defeated Goliath, and the people rallied to him, and God bestows this, this kingship on him. And David's able to unite a broken kingdom and pull all of them together because of his power and because of his diplomatic nature. But what we find in Jesus, the new King David, the better King David, is that he wins the war through peace and humility. He wins the war through his self-sacrificing nature. He lives and dies in peace, right? Never fighting back, never warring, never defending himself. It's his peace that wins the battle. It's his peace that ultimately defeats the, the, the sin, the pride, the death that we all deserve. And he establishes an eternal kingdom, an unshakable kingdom, which is not dependent on religion, on human effort, on any bloodline, on any political party or gender or money or power. It's all simply on him, from him, given to us, this new kingdom that he has built and established. So what that means is, here's the practical side of this. If we choose to put Jesus on the throne and not ourselves and not anyone else, we all start to unite under that banner under simply Jesus. This is why we say there can be unity through diversity in a church. There can be different political persuasions within a church. There can be different income levels within a church. There can be different races within a church because they're all under one banner, under King Jesus. And so Paul keys off on this in the passage that Lynn read just a couple minutes ago. He says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away out in the East have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. It could be more radically different people. He says, he has made them one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity from the two, resulting in Peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, to the Gentiles and to the Jews. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What Paul is saying is that Jesus, when we put him on the throne, tears down that dividing wall of hostility that separates Jew and Gentile, left and right, black and white, rich and poor. He tears all of that down. Why? Because they're united under him as king. He's what is most important. And it brings union underneath of him. We can be united in peace when we unite under the one true shepherd, under the good news of the gospel. In a polarized world, we can actually be people of peace because we know who's on the throne and everything else is okay. In a world surrounded by by hubris, we can actually be people who exude humility. 
and say, I know who's on the throne. I don't need to fight over this. Do, do, vote however you want. Do whatever you want. I don't need to like, you know, like posture myself. I don't need to put forward my own empire. Jesus on the throne, all is well. In an age of fear, we can actually choose to love, to forgive, and to make peace. Because Jesus is on the throne. So let's just get real for a second. When you go to Christmas, or you don't celebrate Christmas with certain people because of problems in your family, because of pain, because of frustration, that's real, I understand it. This means a couple things. It means you can have boundaries. It says, yeah, you know what? I can't do that. Jesus is on the throne. It's okay. I don't need to fight for myself. It means you can go and keep your mouth shut because Jesus is on the throne and it's all okay. You see what I'm saying? And when we become people of peace like that, it actually starts to bring union. At least we're the ones aiming for union. It's up to the rest of people to respond. We can't do anything about that, right? Okay. Side sermon, part two, over. Anne Voskamp says this again. Actually, I'll just read this one right here. Sorry. She says, you win real peace when you give up winning every battle. Man, it'd be nice to just give up every battle. (laughs) You win real peace when you give up winning every battle. So you win the war that matters. Peace often means there is no peace unless you give up pieces of yourself to gain more of the life you really want. She says, exhale and let go. Peace happens when everything and everyone who seems against you brings out the best in you. Brings out Christ in you because he is the best in you and he transforms. Peace is not the absence of problems, but the presence of God in you, flowing out of you in the midst of a tense situation. Friends, he has torn down the dividing wall of hostility and we so regularly just want to put it right back up. We want to put it right back up. We want to argue over politics. We want to argue over money. We want to argue you know, over masks. We want to argue over vaccines. We want to argue over all these lame things when the king of kings sits on the throne of the world and says, come to me and worship. Come to me and worship. We can unite under the banner of Jesus and become one humanity. We can't make everybody else do that. You cannot change anyone, Right? You cannot change anyone. Only the Spirit can do that. It's not your job. But what we can do is worship the King of Kings. We can worship him on the throne. We can be people who are making peace. Everything else is up to God. Happy Christmas. Go enjoy it. You can have boundaries. You can be nice people because the King's on the throne. That's the beauty of this. All right, I got to wrap up. Peace is a person that we intentionally center our lives around. This is sort of a recap back to the worship part. Peace is a person that we center our lives around. Friends, peace must be waged. You've heard war is waged. Peace must be waged. We must intentionally wage peace or we will inwardly, secretly be waging war for our own kingdom all the time, advocating to see ourselves put up on the throne if we are not intentionally waging peace by putting Jesus on the throne where he belongs. Paul in Colossians 3 speaks to this, uh, to me, pretty clearly. He's speaking to the, to the believers there, and, and he says, look, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion. Like, listen to the intentionality of this. Because of what Jesus has done, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive 
Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Listen to this. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. He's saying, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Romans 12, he says something similar to the believers there. He says, if at all possible, as far as it depends on you, your role in this, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is an intentional step on our part to say, okay, Jesus, you're on the throne. I'm going to let your peace rule my life. I'm going to wage peace. Peace is biting your tongue hard because when you have to choose between winning and being kind, you choose kind because kind is always winning. Peace is made when you give people a piece of your heart instead of a piece of your mind. It's a great one. Tanya, she's great. We are all the walking blind if we live an eye for an eye. These could be the holidays that are holy days because we do it in a different way. Peacemaking is about making yourself into a screen door whenever someone difficult walks through your door. So no harmful words can slam into your heart, but everything hurtful sails right on through. Keeping the peace means you keep good boundaries. And keeping the peace doesn't mean repressing your needs, but pressing into the need to be like him. Friends, that's the full life is to be like Jesus, is to choose peace because he is the person of peace. It gives us peace. It gives us joy. This flips the entire peace paradigm and process. Peace isn't a place. Peace is a person. Peace is not a place you escape to out of your everyday life, but a person you walk with every day. And that person is Christ. And the Christ life always looks cruciform. The peacemakers are always the ones who make their lives look cruciform, cross-shaped. Peacemakers know it. The only way to reach the life you want, you have to keep reaching out. You have to keep reaching out. That the answer to a whole host of problems in us is to keep reaching out. The cruciform life is, a prof- is as profound as living a life that's about keep reaching out. Listen to this. The best way forward is never outrage, but outreach. Reaching out. Peace only happens when we wage peace. Love bomb when it's least expected. Shock and awe with amazing grace. Intentionally strategize with acts of kindness. The world changes when we aren't just peacekeepers, but peacemakers. If anybody wants the link, just email me for it. You can, I've basically read all of it at this point, but maybe you want to read it again. I'm saying the best way forward is to be peacemakers, intentionally making peace, intentionally letting the rule of Christ or the, the, the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. It takes intentional effort. So if you don't have peace in your life, I don't mean to say this like flippantly, but if you don't have peace in your life right now, you have to ask yourself the question, am I intentionally waging peace? Or am I stirring things up with the people around me because I want to be on the throne? Do you have peace in your life right now or do you not because you're frantically running after all these other things instead of coming to the throne? Instead of worshiping and allowing his peace to flow to you. So this Christmas, this new year, peace is a person. It's the blessing of Advent, is that peace is a person, Emmanuel, God with us. What does that mean? Well, go back to your picture of peace. 
that mountaintop vista, the orchestra, the quietness before the tree, the house alone, reading a book, sipping a cup of coffee, whatever it is, go back to that place of peace. And remember that Jesus is that times a thousand, times a million, times forever. And believe it. That Jesus is peace, fully human, living in our fleshly tent, as it were, soft, vulnerable baby, to give us his fully devoted, spiritual, peaceful heart that makes us soft towards God, makes us loving towards our enemies, patient towards ourselves, giving ourselves grace when we mess up. His heart that that gives us hope towards pain that we're going through that's very real. His heart that makes us courageous in the face of fear. Friends, this Christmas, the whole point of the incarnation is that Jesus came to give us his heart. To awaken our dead hearts, to give us a living heart, his peaceful heart that is at rest. He says, my peace I give to you, he says in the book of John. He is the person of peace, born not just into our world some 2,000 years ago, but born into your heart today. Today, if you want him to be, if you put him on the throne. Will you go to him this Christmas? Will you go and worship him in the manger and on the throne where he rightly belongs? Will you worship him every day? Trust me. (laughs) Trust me about this. I'm begging you as your pastor, trust me about this and actually believe that the full life is found in the person of Jesus. Spend time with him in worship. Don't fight for your own kingdom. Intentionally wage peace and you will find it in him. Peace is a person we worship, unite under and center our lives around. Will you do that this Christmas? Will you do that this new coming year? We have all of that. That's all available to us because he entered our mess. Because he came into human presence, tabernacled among us in the midst of our dirt and our filth and our sin and our brokenness. We couldn't earn it. He comes and just bestows it on us and says, I'm here. I'm on the throne. Will you worship me there this Christmas? Let's pray.